chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome into the Alana Enquirer podcast. Jeremy Warner, Alana Enquirer publisher, here with you. Illinois returns two players with NBA draft potential next season, Io DeSumo and Kofi Coburn. That has given Illinois the most excitement in their program probably since 2006 when Illinois last had two draft picks in the same year. During the last 14 years, though, Illinois has only had one NBA draft pick, yet during the next month or more, Illinois will have two former players who have the chance to make a big impact on the same team in the NBA playoffs. And the two come from very different worlds with two very different paths to this stage in the NBA. Today, former Illini Michael Tulip joins us to break down the careers of former Illini Myers Leonard and Kendrick Nunn and what this NBA playoff stage with the Miami Heat means for each of them. That's coming up next on the Illini Inquirer podcast. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. All right, joining us now, former Illini Mike Latuop gave us some fun this summer with the House of Pain TBT team as well. And let's talk some more hoops inside the bubble as the NBA playoffs is is underway. And Mike, thanks for joining us, man. Happy NBA playoffs. Sports are fun. Nice to have yeah. back in our lives. Yeah, a little August, a little August NBA playoffs never hurt anybody, that's for sure. Yeah, so so Mike, I wanted to talk to you about the two Illini in the NBA playoffs, Kendrick Nunn and Myers Leonard on the Miami Heat, and it feels like for the first time, and you know, I know Darren Williams was on the the Cleveland Cavaliers team in 2017, but it feels like the first time in a while that uh, former Illini will have a significant impact on the NBA playoffs. I, I know Myers had his uh, nice series last year, um, but boy, these guys, Kendrick Nunn and Myers Leonard, certainly had different paths to get here. Yeah, no question. I think the I think the cool thing for for Illini fans that that obviously remember both of them is you get to watch the same team for both of them. So, um, obviously, I've had NBA League Pass this year watching both of them. I've probably I've, I've watched just about every Miami Heat game this year. And um, but you're absolutely right. Two completely different paths. You know, one guy a seven foot lottery pick, and you know that that left early, and the other one that that took the long way and played five years of college basketball and, um, you know, went back to the mid-major level and, uh, and then cracked his way back into the NBA. So uh, both guys that, you know, uh, that are awesome guys and, and uh, you know, hard workers. And, and, and I think the, the biggest thing for both of them is that although, you know, they took extremely different paths, you know, you, they, they do have a similar DNA in terms of, um, being able to get through adversity and, and Myers has had his fair share since being in the league. Kendrick had his fair share prior to getting in the league. So kind of the same mentality there um, for both of them to obviously end up in the position they're in right now. Yeah. It's kind of cool how, you know, two guys from, you know, very different upbringings. Um, but obviously, yeah, as you said, a lot of adversity for both of them. Let's start with Myers Leonard here, Mike, a kid who grew up with very little in Robinson, Illinois, very small rural town in Southeast Illinois. His father died at an early age. He grew to seven feet, and he has freakish athleticism, earned uh, Power 5 offers, and and turned into a lottery pick after one great year at Illinois. Played two, but one great year. How would you kind of describe his path to the NBA and just how he's turned himself into a long-term stalwart in the league? Yeah, I think the I think he honestly doesn't get doesn't get his due there and, and, and how much credit I think he deserves in terms of being able to, to transform his game. I think any Illini fan that remembers Myers Leonard doesn't remember, remember him as a marksman. 
um, you know, from behind the arc. But that's that's kind of how he's molded his game in the NBA. You've seen plenty of NBA players who who were more traditional five men that have just kind of fizzled out of the league or, or have less of a role, and he's been able to to transform his game in that sense. And um, you know, obviously that wasn't his mo coming out of Illinois, but I think I remember you know when I was at Illinois. Um, a lot of word coming back from his pre-draft workouts and a lot of word coming back from, from the NBA combine and, and how well he shot it. And, um, and, and I think you've always kind of seen it, you know, he shot, he shot, you know, relatively well from the free throw line at Illinois. And I think any time that you have someone that shoots well from the line that has good touch, good rotation, it's easier to make that transition. And I think he's done that. I mean, the first, I believe the first two years, in the NBA, I think he shot like seven total threes. And then now, you know, I think he, he, he shot like 200 this year. So, um, he's transformed his game and he's shooting at a high clip. I mean, he's been in the low forties, um, you know, in, in terms of three point percentage, which is, which is elite level in the NBA. And, and then on top of that, you know, you have a, you know, you have a guy that, um, in one season has shot 50, 40, 90. And I know the, they always, they always throw up the stats and it's bird and it's Curry and it's Nash and they probably won't include Myers because, you know, maybe it's not certain amount of attempts, certain amount of games. Um, but I've always made the argument that it's harder to do it that way. It's harder to do it the way that Myers did it because, you know, when you are shooting, you know, two and a half attempt, three point attempts a game, you don't know when you're getting the next shot. Mm-hmm. And when you do take those shots, the amount of pressure that you put on each one knowing, okay, well, you know, I got to make this one because, A, I don't know when I'm getting it back. This may be, this may be my only shot of the game. And then on top of that, you know, there is zero rhythm. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that, that year he went 50-40-90. You know, you have a guy that is playing about 13, 14 minutes a game. And in that time frame, it is impossible to be in a rhythm. You don't really have a feel for the ball. Um, you know, it's not like, hey, I can just – start the game here's the tip off I'll get a couple ones up early get a feel for it maybe get to the line like no you're coming in cold and you gotta you gotta produce and 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 he was able to do that and and I want to make sure to give him his his due there because that's such an incredible feat and I don't care if you're playing if you're Steph Curry playing 33 minutes a game or you're Myers Leonard playing 13 um it's hard to do so um and especially a seven footer shooting 90 percent from the line and 40 from three like that in itself is is a tough feat so um, so yeah, he's, he's, he's transformed his game. And, and I think the thing I'm most proud of for him is just the way he's battled through adversity. He's, he's had a fair share of it in his upbringing. And, um, you know, even, even from when, you know, obviously his dad passed at a young age, but his mom was severely injured when, you know, when, when he was in high school and in college. And I think a lot of the focus was when he made his way to the NBA was, I need to provide. Um, he obviously doesn't come from a lot, you know, from, from Robinson, Illinois, but, um, so I think he was equipped in a sense when he faced the adversity in the NBA, um, you know, but, but he had his own trials and tribulations and now you, you fast forward to today, it's his eighth year in the league and, um, and he's having a little bit of adversity right now. Um, you know, just kind of unlucky. His ankle injury kind of coincided with the acquisitions of Iguodala and Crowder and, and Solomon Hill and, Spolster's kind of since elected to go a little bit smaller. So, um, you know, so he's kind of seen himself on the outside looking in a little bit. But but I do think that, that their playoff path, I think, serves him well. If they can get out of the first round, um, I think you'll see you'll see a heavier dose of Myers for sure. Myers Leonard seemed like such a good fit in Portland. He was drafted in the league the same year as Damian Lillard, and I know those guys are pretty yeah. close. Uh, but both basketball-wise and culturally, he seemed to fit in Portland. And then he got traded to Miami in this Hassan Whiteside deal. What did that mean for him and his career, Mike? I think it was before the trade. I think the series that he had against the Warriors was just completely reinvigorated him. And mm-hmm. and and the one thing for him that I think um, that's just so impressive to me is, you know, he had thirty points in that game four in the conference finals against the Warriors. He didn't play in game one, right? And I think Myers would admit to you early on in his career that there was no way that a rookie year, second year, third year Myers Leonard would have been able to come back from that, you know, where he's 
sitting out. Um, you know, he, he mentioned to me when, when him and I chatted um, a few months ago, you know, Terry Stotts calls him into his office and tells him that he's starting. And he was just like, yep, all right, and walk right back out. And he said at that point, he was the only one going to the optional shoot arounds and, and just kind of trying to focus so hard on the process. So then, you know, once he did what he did um, in those conference finals, I was just, I was even more just happy for him because I knew what he had gone through. Um, a lot of mental health uh, or, or I guess mental bouts um, in Portland, it was tough. I mean, he was getting booed on his home floor. Yeah. Um, and then, in, you know, he scored 30 in the conference finals and guys, and they're giving him a standing ovation. So it's, it's amazing once he got, once he got traded to Miami, um, I think it was more, you know, um, it was, it was somewhat of a tip of the cap for, for what he had done, you know, to, to up his trade value, honestly. I mean, I think he signed a massive contract back in, you know, 2016. And, um, the, the big thing was, you know, whether or not he was worth the amount of money he was getting. And I thought he proved that, um, in the conference finals for sure. But even with the Miami heat this year, because the thing that the thing with Myers is, you know, he's, he's played eight years in the league you know, but from a culture, and you mentioned it, from a culture standpoint, this is the reason why I think he'll play another eight. Um, is because once you start to get to the back half of your career, if you are not a culture guy, if you are not a great locker room guy, you, you'll be gone. And, and the reason why he's proved that he can be an asset on and off the floor, similar to other guys in the league, you've got just you know, a couple seats down on the bench, Udonis Haslam. Dennis Haslam hasn't produced in years, but he produces from a, you know, culturally. Um, Jared Dudley does the same. Tyson Chandler does the same. Jared Dudley's in his 13th year in the NBA. Tyson Chandler's in his 19th. And Tyson Chandler this year, I think, is averaging two points, one rebound, and 0.2 steals, and 0.3 blocks. But he's a big culture part, you know, culture piece for the Houston Rockets. And that's what I foresee from Myers. He's shown that he's upped his value, not only as, with his performance on the floor, but with his performance um, in that particular locker room. And, and I think that all that bodes extremely well for him moving forward. Yeah, Myers Leonard's carved out a good career where so far he's made $50 million, uh, in the NBA. And, and as you said, he's got many more money-making years ahead of him. So what is his role on this Miami team, Mike? And, and what does this mean for him, given that he is in a contract year? Yeah, I think being in a contract year, obviously he had started every game up until his injury, um, you know, in, in February. But uh, before that, or I mean, after that, you know, obviously he rehabbed. We had the, the COVID, you know, layoff, and then you, the NBA starts back up again. And as I mentioned, you know, you have Andre Gudala, you have all these guys that are that are coming in. Spolstra's gone a little bit smaller, playing Bam out of bio at the five uh, and at the center spot. Um, you know, but I think in a contract year, it's, it's so important to, to see. And I think teams do see it. And as I mentioned, you know, man, we can have Myers Leonard either way. You know, if, if, if he is playing and producing awesome, but even if he's not, he's such a good culture piece and, and, and teams will pay for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not be the same contract that it, that it was when he was in 2016, but he'll be making money, and and I think that's that's the way that you prove you know your your longevity in the NBA. So for his role, you know he played a little bit in their game in their last bubble game against the Pacers. Obviously, they they were resting five or six guys, um, so he got a little bit of run there. You know, hit a three or two. I think he had nine points, seven rebounds. So he was able to get out there and um, see it go through the hoop a couple times before they hit the playoffs. Uh, and, and kind of same thing with with Kendrick in a sense, but but I think for Myers, um, you know, he's shown that he can be an asset regardless. So, um, and I think the Miami Heat, the fans love him. Um, I don't know how you couldn't. I mean, he's just he's one of the uh, <laughs> he's one of the more um, you know uh, colorful guys I think that I've ever been around in terms of his. He's so outgoing and 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 he has a hand. He has a huge hand in what he's doing in the, in the Miami community as well he did the same thing in portland so um you know i think he's uh he's someone the fans obviously love and i think and i think that he and pat riley and all those guys also you know love what they see from him and, and his for sure 
Yeah, Mike, and just from a personal note, I know some Illini fans back in the day were wondering, well, why is he going? Um, well, you mentioned it. I mean, he had personal reasons to do so. Plus, he was a lottery pick, and when you're a lottery pick, you yeah. go. Um, but I think they can be very proud of what he's become, whether it's you know what he does off the court. Um, and the, the other day, I mean, he obviously was in the limelight when he stood for the national anthem, but his teammates had their arms around him, and I think that just shows um, the mature man that Myers Leonard is and the respect he has with his teammates, that he can make a personal decision uh, and have it with nuance and for his teammates and uh, team and franchise to support him. I think uh, Alana fans should be very proud of him. No question. No question. I, I was I was extremely proud of him. Um, you know, with the current situation, the current climate right now, it's it, it's tough because, you know, he's a guy who's, whose brother served in Afghanistan and yep. has done multiple tours and, um I actually think what he was able to do was show, hey, you know, you can be both. You know, you can, you can, you know, have respect for the military and, you know, have respect for, for the Black Lives Matter movement. And, and I think his teammates see that. I mean, I, I saw interviews with Andre Iguodala and Jimmy Butler afterwards. They're like, yeah, like we know Myers. Um, like we know what he's about, you know, whereas somebody who, who maybe doesn't know Myers and isn't his teammate um, may take issue with it for, for whatever reason. But, even go back to even just going back, as you mentioned, to the draft. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, when he came out um, and him and I were talking about this a few months back, but um, he was projected like mid or really late first round um, and his combine and, and really the way he shot the ball, you know, kind of catapulted him into the lottery. Uh, he had all the physical attributes and whatnot, um, you know, but was still a little bit raw. And I think he showed, you know, in those moments, uh, what he can be. And, 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 uh, and yeah, I, I couldn't be more proud of him. He's just, uh, he's a guy that, that, that should serve as a role model for a lot of, a lot of kids that watch the NBA. I know not everybody can be seven feet tall and 245 pounds and have a seven, three wingspan. But, um, what you can do is, is, you know, be a great teammate and work your butt off. And, uh, he showed that all of that, you know, can help you fight through adversity, can help you, kind of get through the trials and tribulations you experience. Cause it's not just, I, I think Myers will tell you too. It's not, you know, it's not like, Hey, I got out of the, you know, uh, you know, I got out of the storm you know, for my MBA career. Like those are things that can help you in life. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that's something that, that he's going to be able to take with him um, for the rest of his life. Like, Hey, Ed, no matter how dark it gets, you can always climb your way out of it. Um, if you just kind of stick to your process and, 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 you know, and having that positivity by yourself. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I could, I could go on and on about Myers. He's just, I'm so proud of what he's done. Then there's Kendrick Dunn who had a very different path. Let's talk about him next. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA champions league 24 seven. The UEFA champions league channel is a new 24 hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. So Kendrick Nunn, Mike, was a sidekick to Jabari Parker on one of the most nationally renowned programs in the country, Chicago Simeon. Uh, he's a huge get yep. for, for John Gross, and uh, you were there as he became a Big Ten All-Freshman team selection with that team. And uh, obviously went on to have a, a next couple good years. What did you think of Kendrick Nunn right away when he got the champagne, and, and how did he kind of progress his first couple years? Well, it's funny the right away what I thought was, who the heck is this kid? Because because uh, if you don't know Kendrick, then a lot of what he does at times you think can come off as as arrogant or boastful, but it's just he's just so uber confident in himself in himself. And, mm. and I think, you know, I remember on his visit, he walks into the gym, he's got shades on, um, you know, and I think all of us kind of like, man, who's this kid? Um, and then he tweets at coach gross to accept his, to accept the offer. Um, I don't know if you remember that he tweeted, I'm gonna need that scholarship coach. <laughs> um, hashtag Kendrick's kingdom. So like, I think all of us in the locker room were like, man, like, who is this kid? Um, but once he gets there, once he gets to campus, I mean, you're just kind of blown away by it's not only his his ability to shoot the ball or his his athleticism 
you know, his feel for the game. It's the fact that he will completely destroy you in an open gym session and will not say one word the entire time. And I think that was something that, you know, a lot of guys, they love to talk, you know, they love to, to say this and that around the court when they're playing well, but Kendrick will score on you seven straight times and you won't hear a word from him. And like, that's almost more demoralizing than, you know, than somebody who just wants to run their mouth. And I think when, you know, when he got there, you know, there was admittedly, you know, he's, he's such a talented freshman, but you know, he wasn't starting, you know, Ray was, Ray was now eligible. Um, you know, we had a lot of different pieces um, that, that were coming in. And uh, I even look back and I laugh at it because I think if you look at the, the first game of the year, I think I played more than him. I think I, I think I played 15 minutes and he played 13. So it's crazy. And I, and I knew that once Kendrick Nunn figured out the system, there was no more Michael Tulip out there. But, um, but he was somebody that was just kind of would keep his head down and keep working because all those guys – struggled when they first got there. I, mean, I think it was me, Nana, Tracy, Joe, Bertrand, and Ray Ravante were the only carryovers from 2012-2013. So we all had a leg up on the system. So now you bring in nine new guys, and it's you're trying to figure out, you know, everybody's trying to figure out where they fit in. they got to pick up on the system. And once they did that, obviously you saw with Kendrick, um, you know, he's such a tireless worker. And that Penn State game, when Gross decided to put – him and Malcolm in the starting lineup for, for John Eakey and Joe Bertrand, which shoot, you put two freshmen in the starting lineup for two seniors are only two seniors. And I thought it said a lot about Eakey and Bertrand, but Kendrick won us that game. And we were on an eight game losing streak, seven or eight game losing streak. And we needed that win. And, you know, we, we have a defense that's, that's one of the top defenses in the country. I think we were whatever top 15. He was a big part of that as a freshman. Once he started to figure out the, the, the system and, and then you saw from there his confidence just started to bloom, right? Like Penn State, I think he, he had 19 points, hit a corner three to to seal the game. We go play Minnesota, you know he you know he he puts up 25 or, or 19 or 20 on the road again. Um, but I think the defining moment for Kendrick Nunn, where we're all like, hell yeah, we'll go to war with this guy, mm. was that Penn State game at home against DJ Newbell. Yep. DJ Newbell was had a you know. 25 game streak of double digit points and, he, and then he ended up getting ejected because he got into it with Kendrick and Kendrick's a freshman DJ Newbill is a senior and they they bump each other and Kendrick gets right in his face and like that's that's what you're getting with Kendrick Dunn is just someone who's fearless and and I think as his career went on he started to realize that it doesn't matter what the moment is it doesn't matter who you stick in front of him like the guy is just he's fearless and and he has a, a confidence about himself that, quite frankly, his path to the NBA, I think, is is one in a million. Yeah, I really do. Like, I, I think the only way that you could pull off doing what Kendrick Nunn did is if you're mentally wired like Kendrick Nunn, which is something that I haven't seen before. Um, and you know, I, I think once he went to Oakland, I think Oakland was what was what, you know, catapulted his confidence and, and probably put him in the NBA is because, you know, just as much as, and that's what people don't realize about the mid-major level and the high-major level. It's now it's, it's somewhat more of an even playing field in my eyes because the Murray States of the world, the Oaklands of the world, you know, if you want to go back to 2008, you are, it's, it's clear cut. You are not getting as much exposure as a high-major school. But with social media, every dunk John Morant has, you know, every, you know, every single, it doesn't matter who it is, Obi Toppin, like you are getting as much exposure from social media as a guy who plays high major. Um, if anything, college basketball fans probably knew more about Obi Toppin and John Morant over the years than some other guys that are, that were high profile, high major guys. So once he goes, once Kendrick goes to Oakland, it's multiple things. It's one, you have, you know, a guy that number one, um, he's playing a different role than he played at Illinois. Uber confident in Illinois, but, and this is always something where I think if you ask Coach Gross, it's maybe something he'd, he'd want to take back. Or it was like a chicken before the egg thing because Kendrick was on a, a dribble limit at Illinois. Um, three dribbles. And I thought, you know, and at the time, honestly, like none of us really thought it was messed up because he was turning the ball over like crazy. Mm-hmm. 
in practice and in the game. So it's like, okay, maybe that's warranted. But then you saw once you get to Oakland, they just give him the keys and, and he's handling the ball. And, and granted, it's a different level of competition. Um, but he's making plays and coming off a ball screen and throwing one-handed, you know, hook alley-oops to, to the guys that they had there at Oakland. And I remember watching him like, my God. Like, I, I was his teammate for four years. I didn't know he could handle the ball like that. Um, yeah, Mike, I don't and, think... And I think that's... I don't think Kendrick has the career he has without that Oakland. You know, he obviously went through no. uh, the, the off-the-court transgressions here at Illinois, played guilty to um, misdemeanor battery. Illinois dismisses him. But he transfers to Oakland, sits out a year, um, which obviously yep. uh, probably focuses him on, hey, I, I almost lost my dream here. But also Greg Campy, as you said, said, hey, if you want to make the NBA, you got to be able to handle the ball. Um, so in, in, yep. while it didn't work out for Illinois, and, and I feel bad for Malcolm not being able to make the NCAA tournament with Kendrick by his side, but for Kendrick Nunn, I think that was a, a defining moment where I don't know if, maybe you don't doubt him, but I, I don't know if he makes the NBA without that experience at Oakland. Yeah, I don't think he does to be honest. Um, you know, uh, and, and Grant, I, I wouldn't put it past him, as you mentioned. I mean, Pat Beverly's another guy who went overseas and made his way back because he's tough. And, um, but with Kendrick, the huge, the huge thing was, you know, if he's at Illinois, okay, now you got a 6'3 shooting guard. Um, where in the NBA, unless you're the Toronto Raptors, who start two guys that are six, six foot and under, um, you know, it's tough. It's tough to find, it's tough to find a spot. So you have to be a guy that that's able to handle the ball. And, um, and I think, I think even on, even more than that, he, you know, everybody talks about, you know, Hey, you go to the mid major level because you can play your game. People say, Hey, you can play your game. You can do what you want, but even more importantly is discovering what your game is. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I think that's something that Kendrick did was, you know, even when he was at Simeon, right? Jalen Tate was handling, handling the ball. Gets to Illinois, it's still Jalen Tate, Ahmad Starks. Like, there wasn't really much. And, and granted, he just he was such a high turnover guy that you know it was tough to justify him just being our point guard. Um, you know, but he gets to Oakland and he and he, he sees himself doing it. And I think that's that's part of it. Um, you know, he he kind of unlocked it himself. Uh, that year at Oakland, and then you're you know you're second in scoring behind Trey Young, and you're averaging you know just under you know five assists a game, which is which is tough to do at the college level, and um, you know especially at the mid major level, he had he had some talent on his team, but I'll say he was in the perfect system. Like when I heard because I was playing in the Horizon League, uh, I had committed to Wright State when he had committed to Oakland, um, so I knew about Oakland. I knew their system. I knew how they how they kind of just. You know they let it they let it fly and and obviously you've seen over the years Travis Bader was another guy that that was at Oakland and you know before Fletcher McGee knocked off his record two years ago it's you know he's a guy that that would just come off floppy screens on the baseline and and for Kendrick it was perfect because those floppy screens on the baseline where you have you have two bigs that converge on both blocks and you can it's your choice you can go off either way and and, and what Kendrick was so good at I mean I guarded Kendrick for four years or three years. Um, once he gets you on his hip with his left hand going downhill, you're done. Like you're just done. And, and uh, I'm not just speaking from, from me as like a, you know, six foot, 160 pound guy. I'm talking about, he was the same thing with Ravante Rice. It's the same thing with, with all these other guys that you tried to guard him. If he got you on his hip, he is so strong that, you know, he can get downhill and, and, and fend you off. And that's exactly what Oakland ran. They put him in a lot of different positions where they're doing pick and rolls, but those floppy screens off the baseline, you know, if he curled those, it was a wrap. So I thought it was a perfect system for him. And then once he, you know, I'm texting him back and forth on, on draft night, cause I'm interested. I mean, if he goes, there could be somebody that takes a flyer on him for, yeah. you know, the 55th, 60th pick. And, um, but I think for the NBA draft and, and Malcolm Hill had this same situation, um, you're almost better off. If you get to the 55, 56 range, you're almost better off not getting drafted because you can choose. And, and it was like this before. Maybe, maybe it's less justified with the two ways now, but you can choose. If you're the 61st pick, which is not in the NBA draft, you're choosing where you go. So you can pick your situation as opposed to the Kings choosing you with the 59th pick. And you're just kind of like, all right, well, I'm going to go play in Sacramento or I'm going to go play for the Stockton Kings. 
like you can at least choose your situation. And, and the second that he didn't get drafted, he knew where he was going. He was going to go to to the Bay, and he was going to go um, play with the Warriors and play preseason with them and learn from KD and learn from Steph and learn from Clay and and go to that system and their farm system, so to speak. He goes to Santa Cruz, and it's funny how it all works out. You know, Aaron Miles, the head coach there, was like, hey, you know, we want you coming off the bench because that's going to be your role when you, if you get to the NBA. And he's like, okay, cool. He averages 20 a game off the bench. <laughs> Freaking heat sign him. And he's starting, he's starting the entire season. So, um, you know, and scoring 40 on James Harden and Russell yeah. Westbrook in the preseason. Like, you can, you can never put anything past Kendrick Nunn. Yeah. So, Mike, take me in. Obviously, he went undrafted, went G League. But he tore it up in the summer league mm-hmm. this past summer, a summer ago. Uh, tore it up in the preseason, as you said, put a 40 spot on the Rockets. How did he earn that spot with Miami? And, and what did he do to become immediately, as you said, a starter who, who starts all 67 games alongside Jimmy Butler and a very, very good Miami Heat team? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, so the Warriors were in a tough spot because – you know, I, it came down to really both of them. Um, the Heat had just kind of been silently keeping tabs on Kendrick for a long time. And, um, you know, they kind of swooped in there with about four days left in the seven, in the, uh, in the 18-19 season, um, last NBA season, and signed him. And I remember they had one more game back in Brooklyn um, to end the NBA season. I remember talking to Kendrick like, yo, are you going out to Brooklyn? Like, how's this work? And uh, he's like, no, but, but they now have my rights for, for summer league and they have my rights. Like I can come down here in the off season and work out with the heat and whatnot. So, um, you know, I knew once he went to, to Miami, that's a culture that fits him to a T. Um, you know, I think being around those guys, but even, even just before in summer league, the, the thing that the heat always do um, is typically they'll play some of their guys that, you know, that are, that are on the team and Duncan Robinson played with him. And obviously coming in with Tyler Harrow, that's, that, that's the perfect marriage right there. Those are two guys that are, um, that kind of just feed each other confidence because they both have just an overflowing amount of it. And, um, you know, I thought once, once they coach glass, the, the coach of the Miami Heat summer league team, you know, I was, I was extremely impressed with the types of things they ran to put Kendrick in those situations, but I thought he really, really turned some heads in summer league and and he did it last year honestly with the with the warriors in summer league um but this year in particular you know having games of you know 28 30 um you know i was i was lobbying on twitter because they missed they missed one of his three pointers in a in a summer league game against the kings and they gave him 28 and i was like all over twitter i was like he had 31 he had 31 like i want to like i wanted to get a i wanted to put him in the best position possible and make sure that they're not, they're not sliding him at all. So once he got to the preseason, you know, everybody was talking, they were like, Oh man, he's got to make it past this deadline, you know, cause that's the way these non-guaranteed contracts work. Like you have training camp, you got to get past training camp. And there's another, um, there's another deadline uh, in October. And, um, and then once you even, you get into the season, there's the January 7th deadline as well for these non-guaranteed guys. So, he would hit every checkpoint unsurprisingly. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, in his first five games in the NBA, essentially, you know, set the record for an undrafted mm-hmm. rookie uh, in terms of points. I think, um, and I forget who he surpassed. I know Ginobili was drafted, um, but it was, it was, he had passed somebody um, as an undrafted rookie. And, and, uh, and granted, like people always say, they're like, oh, well, he's, he's 23, 24 years old. I'm like, I don't care, man. It's the NBA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the highest level. Um, just because Pablo Pirgioni came over when he was 34 didn't mean that he was just an automatic all-star. Like you, like it's still a, at a very, very high level. And even the younger guys who are 21, 22, 20 years old are, are still high level players. So, um, so yeah, once he, and once he got into that lineup, I think that the, the Rockets game was when I think everybody was like, okay, like this is for real. Um, he had some good preseason games. Um, ones where he actually came off the bench, uh, his first preseason game, he just, you know, he was, I think he was one of the last guys to get in and, uh, and very, very similar to Myers, right? Like just, it doesn't matter to those guys because they, they just stick to the process. And, um, and then you have that, you have that Rockets game and then, you know, the season opener, you know, Jimmy Butler is actually out. 
So he was dealing with personal um, with personal stuff those first couple of games. So Kendrick started. I think after his, you know, 24 the first night, 28 the next night, like you, you couldn't justify not starting him. So, you know, they kept him in the lineup, and I think it's actually helped them because I think Goran Dragic is a guy that's going to be right up there for – or should be right up there for, for six man of the year. They'll probably give it to one of the Clippers, but um, I think Goran Dragic, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they, you know, how they use them in the playoffs because Kendrick has had a unique bubble experience. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, he showed up, he was, he was a little late to the bubble, um, him and Bam, not like tart, like tardiness, but they, they had to arrive a little bit later. You know, then he had to leave the bubble for, for personal reasons. So I never really thought he got his footing under him. Um, and he struggled. Um, he struggled shooting the ball. Uh, his minutes were down. Um, I thought it affected him a tad on the defensive end, too. So um, I'll be interested to see what, what types of minutes he gets come playoff time because, you know, Dragic, Dragic had, a, had a pretty decent bubble. Tyler Harrow was fantastic. So um, I'm interested to see. But I would not put it past Kendrick Nunn where – you know, when the Heat have a pivotal game five or game six, Kendrick Nunn comes out and scores 27 points. Like, well, I wouldn't put any of that past him. What does Kendrick Nunn's future look like in the NBA, Mike? You know, I think he can be in the NBA for a long time. Um, you know, I think if he understands, because here's the one thing, is when you show, and this is why it was so important for him to be doing this on the Heat as opposed to be doing this on the Hornets or to be doing this on the you know, I hate to say the Washington Wizards because they made the bubble. Right. But, um, you know, for the Chicago Bulls, as much as that hurts to say, like it's it's so important for him to do this on the Miami Heat because it shows that he can impact winning. Um, and if, if he goes to a Charlotte Hornets, if he goes to any of these other teams, you know, you still have that question of, okay, but can he do it on a team that's successful? Um, and I think that's always the question mark with guys that, that put up you know, big numbers on, on, on lesser teams. Um, Cause it's the old saying, like every, every bad team has a leading scorer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think for, for him to show that he's a, you know, an integral part of, of what they're doing and a, a big cog of, of, you know, a team that's, that's fourth in the East, you know, that, that bodes well moving forward. I think that's, that's something that is going to hold a lot of weight moving forward. I think he needs to, I think he's shooting about 35% from three. If he can stay within the, 35 to to 39 range um, for his career. I think he'll stay in it, but um, him being able to guard and, and he's a rookie still, like it's adjusting to the, to the tempo and, um, and at that position, I mean, you got to think you're Kendrick Nunn and you're playing the point guard position. Most times you are guarding the other team's point guard where in this league, there's no nights off. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you're going up against. If you're going up against Steph Curry, if you're going up against Damian Lillard, if you're going up against Mike Conley. I mean, you can go down the list. You're not. You can rarely take a game off at the point guard position defensively, um, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's the best team in the league or the worst team in the league. It was Charlotte Hornets. You better not take a night off against Devontae Graham. Um, so he's been tested on that end, and I think it's. I think it's going to all come together for him as as he progresses. But make no mistake about it. I mean, he's Kendrick Nunn's made himself some money for sure this year. Um, so I'm expecting him to also, you know, to have a good playoff run as well and and kind of make himself even more marketable. Pretty amazing. Undrafted 24-year-old rookie, and he's top three in the Rookie of the Year award along with number one overall pick, Zion Williamson, and number two overall pick, John Morant. Okay, so we got Heat versus Pacers. Uh, I'm a big fan of watching the Heat team because I, I love watching Jimmy Butler. But uh, what do you think about the Heat's chances and, and what do Kendrick Nunn and, and Myers Leonard, how do they impact uh, the Heat's playoff uh, run here? Yeah, you know, I actually think that I actually think the Heat have a more favorable path. I say favorable. I say, I, say that I, I tread lightly saying that because their their next opponent would be the Milwaukee Bucks were obviously the number one seed, but you know, you got, you're talking about the Miami heat who are an extremely efficient offensive team, you know, 112 points per 100 possessions. That's good for seventh in the league. Um, Their defense has slid a tad. um, And that's where the the Pacers bread is buttered. So, I mean, the Pacers were, I think from a defensive efficiency standpoint, they were the number two team in the bubble defensively. They were sixth overall this season, third since the all-star break. And I think this is I think this is going to be the best series in the first round. 
Um, Sabonis being out obviously hurts the Pacers, but allows them to, you know, to obviously throw Miles Turner out there at the five, and then you have, you know, great perimeter defense. Like when you go down up and down that roster, I mean, there's nowhere to hide. If you're a guard playing the Indiana Pacers, I mean, you're going up against Oladipo, you're going up against Malcolm Brogdon, who are probably two of the top five, top ten on the ball defenders in the league. You know, Edmund Sumner, um, the Holiday brothers, T.J. McConnell will go in there and sell out. Like it's they're they're a scrappy, scrappy, tough team. And I think for the Miami Heat, if you can get past them, if you can get past the Pacers, I think this will be a tough test, obviously. But I actually, I actually like their chances against the Bucks. Mm. And the reason I say that is, I think out of every team, and I think the Bucks know this, their worst matchup is the Miami Heat. And and uh, you know, obviously the Heat, you know, they they won a big one up in Milwaukee this year, um, but. You know, I look at a guy like Myers Leonard will probably be needed in that series because you have Bam Adebayo who can obviously guard a lot of positions, but you're going to want Bam on Giannis. So who guards Brook Lopez? Mm-hmm. So now you have Myers Leonard. This is an opportunity for him to come in and have more of a traditional big man in the game who can also stretch the floor and, and kind of neutralize Brook Lopez in a sense. Brook Lopez has been like third-team All-NBA caliber this season. Um, so obviously that's saying a lot, but you know, I think for Myers, what you know, what you can't do, what you can't do is stick a small on Brook Lopez. The Houston Rockets proved that you cannot do that. I mean, they they tried to stick Covington. You know, Covington's six seven, six eight, but to Brook Lopez, that's a shorter guy. Um, they tried to stick Covington. They tried to tried to, to stick PJ Tucker on him, and he ate them alive. So they know if you're the Miami Heat, you can't go that route. You can't go stick Iguodala on Brook Lopez and think that you know you're going to get off scot free. It's not just about throwing into the post to Brook Lopez. It's about offensive rebounds. Um, so I think if they can get past the Pacers and they meet the Bucks, I think they have a. I think they have a. You know, I think they have a chance to make the the conference finals. You got to keep in mind. You know, I think since 2000, since the year 2000, um, only three times have both number one seeds met in the finals. Three times in the last 20 years. So the 2000 Lakers Pacers the 2008 Lakers Celtics and the 16 Cavs Warriors are the mm-hmm. only times every other time it's been one versus two, three or two versus two. It's mm-hmm. so you got to think either the Lakers, if history is any indication, either the Lakers or the Bucks are not making the NBA finals. My money would be on the Lakers, but I think it's going to be both of them that don't make it. Um, the team that you want to avoid if you're the Miami heat and they will until the conference finals is the Toronto Raptors. Mm. I would not want to play the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I like their chances and I, and I like, you know, I like Myers to, to, you know, I, I think, I think he'll play, I think he'll play a little bit in this series for sure. Um, they'll need him against the Bucks and, and Kendrick, obviously they're, they're going to need him to step up. I think if Kendrick can get back to his old ways a tad, um, you know, and give them another scoring punch in, in addition to Hero and, and Butler and Dragic and Bam, you know, I think they can. Uh, I think they'll get past the Pacers in either six or seven games, and and then you just roll the ball out and you're playing with house money a little bit against the Bucks. Well, Mike, who do you like in the bubble? Man, I, I think you. I, <laughs> my my finals projection is Clippers Raptors, mm. um, and and uh, and honestly, I I think that series goes probably six or seven games. I just think people are not giving the Raptors their due. It's it's you watch. That's Raptors, a pretty just, amazing story, Mike. I mean, what what they've done this year. I mean, as a Bulls fan, I sit there and go, "Why can't we have that kind of franchise?" I mean, you lose right. uh, one of the best players in the NBA, yet you still look like an NBA Finals contender. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I th- you look at, and I think when you look at before Kawhi Leonard, pre Kawhi, post Kawhi, and and when they had Kawhi, it was all relatively the same. Like they, I think, through sixty five games. Um, the year before Kawhi, they had won 47 games. You know, the year with Kawhi, they won 47 games. And then the year after Kawhi, they won 46 games. So there isn't much of a change. And Kawhi sat out about 30 games last season. Um, and I think without him, they were like, you know, 22 and five, or they had, they were had an astounding or 17 and five without Kawhi last year. So um, that's not to say that they won't miss him. You, you need a guy who in crunch time can, you kind of just give the ball to in the playoffs and, and go get a bucket. But um, I can't say enough about that team. And 
Uh, I think when you look top to bottom, even in the Warriors series last year, I'm sitting there like, you know, you okay, great. You have Kevin Durant, you have Steph Curry, you have Clay Thompson. And I'm a big Warriors guy because mm-hmm. um, I love Steph. But uh, but I'm looking at that team and, you know, typically how those, you want to call it a super team, how they work obviously is you'll have a top-heavy roster. So, you know, your fifth, sixth, seventh guy on the Warriors can't really hold a candle to – the Raptors' fifth, sixth, seventh guy. So when I'm watching that series last year, I'm like, the Raptors almost, I say by far, that's that's probably a stretch, they had more talent, top to bottom, for sure, than the Warriors. So like I knew once Durant went down, especially when Clay went down, I'm like, man, like where do you, like, where do you hide? Like there's nowhere to hide. It's, you, know, you got Lowry, you got Van Vliet, you got Ananobi, who's just going to be, he's going to be a perennial all-defensive team guy uh, for years to come. Um, then, then you have Serge Ibaka, and you have Marc Gasol. I mean, like it just the list goes on. They're they're I think they're the first team uh, in a long time who have had five guys average fifteen plus. Um, you just don't see it happen. So you have they they can hit you from a lot of different angles. But you know I think Fred VanVleet's another guy that's going to make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know when his contract's up, here comes soon. So um, so yeah, I do like the Raptors and the Clippers. And you know what? I'll I think I I think the Raptors are going to repeat. Wow. Um, I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll say it. I think they're well coached and they've been there. I think Kyle Lowry's another guy that, um, you know, you saw what he did in game six last year in the finals was just incredible. And, um, they have all the pieces. I didn't even mention Pascal Siakam, (laughs) who, who is arguably the best player, um, and an all-star. So they, they have a lot of pieces and you can see why, you know, when Sam Presti was like, okay, cool, let's make a trade. I'll give you Paul George. Um, but I need Pascal Siakam, you know, Missouri was like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not giving this guy up. So um, they have a lot of promise, and 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 uh, I'll be excited to see. I think I, I mapped out all my series predictions, and I hope it doesn't go the way I say it because if, if that's the case, we're not going to have a very exciting first round. Yeah. Um, I had a, I had a couple five games and maybe a couple six games, but you know, as, as a viewer, you want to see all the six and six and seven games that you can possibly see. So. It'll be interesting, man. I think the NBA has really outdone themselves in terms of the bubble, and and uh, it's funny watching it and saying like, yeah, we, you know, our house pain team kind of lived that in a sense. <laughs> Not three months, but it sure felt like it when you were in it. Well, Mike, um, before I let you go, do we see two more Illini in the NBA next year? I mean, we're excited about the possibility. Uh, we'll see if they can pull mm-hmm. it off of a, a season with Io DeSumo and Kofi Coburn back for another year. could be a special year for Illinois. Uh, but what do those guys got to show uh, to be um, playing alongside Kendrick Nunn and Myers Wonder next year? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, Io is obviously a guy that, that I would give you know, that I would give the nod to in terms of, you know, I think he's going to have, he's going to be on an NBA team next year, but you know, for Kofi, and this is why I think the combine, you know, is, is something that would help Kofi out a lot. Um, they look at him. I think you see, you see seven foot seven, one, you know, 260 pounds, 270. Um, but you don't, you don't realize his agility. Mm-hmm. I think you see it obviously when you're watching the game, he get, he explodes off the floor. He's, he can run the floor, he can sprint. I think he's the type of guy that if you get him in the NBA combine next year, his ability to jump, his ability to he'll, he'll run the three-quarter court sprint, people are going to be like, what the hell? Um, but then Io too, I mean, he's a guy that has proven, and this is, this is the thing with, do I think that Io will be a first-round draft pick next year? Maybe. He's going to have to shoot the lights out mm-hmm. for, for him to do that, but you know, I think regardless, you, you know, if he if he hovers around the 36, 37 percent three point mark, I think that's a win for not only Io but for for Illinois basketball, who you know who hasn't shot the ball particularly well over the years. And and I think for for Io in particular, he's something where you know all the all the NBA people that I've talked to that are in front offices, if you're a second round pick, your resume better be squeaky clean because this, here's the reality of it. You know, if Io if Io gets drafted in the second round next year, he is more than likely going to be a ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth guy on a team. If he's not a two way guy, if he's a two way guy. Even if he is, when he comes over and plays in the NBA, he's going to be more of the you know ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth guy. So if you have a guy like that, 
what's he like from a from a locker room standpoint? Because if he's an issue, he ain't gonna like being the ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth guy. Mm-hmm. So I think I, what Isles proved his his value goes beyond what he does on the floor. I think everybody said it. You've heard it from the Illinois locker room. What he's been able to do, just from a morale standpoint, he's very he's really galvanized. I think that locker room and and I think the Illinois fan base and um, I think that's something that makes him even more marketable for the NBA next year. I think he's a guy that like, Hey, you know, we want this guy on our team. You know, if we can bring in a 21 year old that, that is willing to work their butt off, you know, I look at a guy like PJ Dozier for the, for the Denver nuggets. And, um, you know, a guy that's, that's kind of played a, a role. Like he, he started a couple games in the bubble, but also during the season, he had a couple of DMPs and Monte Morris is the same way. Um, but those are all high character guys. So that's and and Io falls on that same, uh, on that same trajectory. So I'm excited. And I think Kofi too, um, I'm not sure Kofi will get drafted, but he's a guy that, you know, I think if he does make his way into the NBA, he can, he can make do. He's athletic. He can move. Um, if he can start stretching, stretching the floor a little bit. Um, I know, I know, I think every Illinois fan seen some videos of him shooting some threes and, um, you know, maybe too soon for that this year. But but hopefully he can do like we mentioned with Myers. You get into the league, you adjust your game, and um, you know I think both those guys are such good um, have such good heads on their shoulders that they'll kind of make any situation work. So I'm excited. I mean I mean you're looking at an Illinois basketball team that's that's probably going to come in at about you know my my guess would be between this you know anywhere between seven and ten um, preseason. So it's been a long time since we've been able to say that. Certainly has. You know, I, every time I talk with Michael Tulip, I say, yeah, I'll try to keep it shorter, but I just love talking ball with him, and he's so good at it. Mike, <laughs> uh, enjoy the NBA playoffs, man, and uh, always appreciate the time. Yeah, man. I, I apologize if uh, if I took you off track there a little bit. I get Obviously, I get a little worked up, too, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking hoops, but I appreciate it as always, man. Great stuff, as always, from Michael Tulip, former Illini basketball player, as well as Wright State, and the coach of the House of Pain, the TBT team, that provided us a lot of entertainment uh, during the summer when we needed some sports entertainment. Hope you got a lot of insight there into Kendrick Nunn and Myers Leonard. I know Mike keeps in touch with them, and you can tell he watches a lot of Miami Heat games and a lot of NBA, so hopefully you enjoyed that. As always, you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us. We appreciate when you do that. And don't forget, our deal continues 50% off your first year of annual VIP access to Illini Inquirer. That's a savings of more than $50. You can check that out right now at IlliniInquirer.com. Happy NBA playoffs out there to all you NBA fans. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Inquirer podcast. Yes, Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.